superstition in modern America. Very well. I wish. I wish. No, no, no. no end to this birthday madness. Just wish for something good. Given everything we've been through, we could use a little celebrating.
Thurston Among Founders, Benjamin Franklin's Impact on Colonial America. Impact? The school's a strumpet you crushed beneath his girth, right? I take it you knew Franklin? He was his apprentice under General Washington's insistence. The man was insufferable. We aren't talking about Benjamin Franklin, the editor of the Declaration of Independence. Verhard, braggart, blatherskite, and gasbag. What an insatiable lead to prove he was the sharpest intellect in the room. I can see how that would be hard for you. looking for something. Why would he want a history professor's research on Benjamin Franklin? Student of Franklin would have been shrewd and conniving as the man himself. Diligence is the mother of good luck. And we could use a little of that right now. University. That place still exists. such a prude at Kavai. Clearly, they never taught you how to tie a knot at Oxford. Oh, I suppose I should have spent more time studying the Hellfire Club. Studying Washington, Jefferson, Adams, and me. You're one of us now. An American. 
We must be prepared to weather it. notes refer to it as the G Kenya key. Notes. I've gone through Corbin's files, everything in the archives. There's nothing left about the location of this key. We're out of leads. There's one option left. I loathe even considering it. You want to talk to yourself? If the horseman is searching for a key to open a door to purgatory, Henry may be the only one who can tell us where it may be. Assuming he'll tell us the truth. He's a mastermind, Karine. Horse and we're aware of the dangers. He will try to prey on our vulnerabilities, but we will not let him. We cannot. He is our prisoner. about the location of the key belonged to Ben Franklin. What I meant was, what have you brought me? No sin, not even appearance. 
That drawing is from the Hellfire Club. The Den of Sin. You have any other papers? Perhaps from your mentor, Sheriff Corbin. He collected files on the supernatural. Nothing about the key? She told me Corbin had her go to Philadelphia to acquire an important sketchbook that belonged to Franklin. Did she tell you where it is? I've never actually seen it. Then it is a secret she took to her grave. child. She used you, and she left your carcass to me. Always a predator, that one, like your Sheriff Corbin. 
He sent you to Philadelphia five years ago to acquire a sketchbook that was created during the American Revolution. In the pages of that book was a drawing for Keith. There's no use hiding the truth from me. I am a sinister. I can taste your lies. You don't have to tell me. Your sins will speak for themselves. Someplace safe before Molly finds you. Last time I saw you, Brooks, you were dead. Sorry if I don't take your safety advice. Have fun in hell. It's purgatory, not hell, which means you still have a chance of getting out of here, but only if you listen. 
Katrina came. She waited for him to leave and sneak inside. What's in there? A mirror, capable of reflecting a path to the outside world. That's how she found you. And Crane. And how Moloch found you, too. Just recite the incantation on the stone beneath the mirrors, then say Crane's name. This is like a demon hologram, is basically what you're saying. have some trace of free will left. You remind me that I am human.
your troops. Step on a crate. Reverse. You don't know how to reverse. No! Survivors, you and I, 
You've been in that other coffin. I found your sister. She is having rather a trying day as well. Yours is not looking much better. We're in Moloch's lair. Moloch's lair. We don't have much time. Moloch is raising an entire demon army. Every last soul in purgatory unleashed on Earth. Moloch needs the key to unlock the door to purgatory. The key he does not yet have. Mr. Nee and I are on our way to retrievement. Then we can get you out. But if that's what they want, we get the key for them. That's why they tricked us into believing that a year had passed. What if we're walking into another trap? Maybe you don't come back. Maybe you're here. No. Lieutenant, I do not accept goodbye. I need you to protect the key. We're fighting a war, Crane. Coming back for me is a risk I cannot let you take. The Bible foretells two witnesses. You and I must remain together if there is any hope of victory. The only risk, Lieutenant, is in leaving you behind. You know what I say? You're coming back, aren't you? I made a promise. I need to be prepared. The second you open that door, Malak and his army will do everything in their power to get out. Katrina left you a charm to defend against Moloch. Do you have it? I dropped it in the woods behind the church. I'll find it. We'll meet there. Hold fast, like a bells. I'm on my way. created when he's in freeze. The first was decoding his alphabet. The second was a clue to dislocation. This is the only statue of Franklin in Sleepy Hollow. All over the country. Plus the Franklin Mint, the hundred dollar bill. It's all about the Benjamins. Yes, it always was. Franklin was full of aphorisms. The key to success lies under the alarm clock. The key to success lies under the alarm clock. Oh, arrogant. It is easy to see.
submit to you. What do you want? No, I do this alone. Pray. Miss Jenny, this is my duty as a witness. She's my sister. I'm coming with you at least. You, me, and your sister. We're the only ones who know the truth about any of this. Now, if anything should happen, if I don't return for some time... Don't say it. You know the rules. No eating or drinking anything near them. Don't accept anything from anyone. with humble heart upon this threshold we summon thee in mirrored form appear a gateway to the world between worlds
from launching phase two at the end of days and say we've earned a victory lap. A little one. You and I are absent catch enough to do. To begin with, my wife is now a captive of the Horseman of Death and the Horseman of War is my son. We may have stopped Molly today, but he is still down there. Today was merely an opening salvo. They've been planning this since before the birth of our nation. They used violence, they used deception. They twisted our blood bonds to their ends. But one thing I know for sure, we're not gonna be saved again. This is war.
is destroyed. I could not retrieve it. with the paranormal. I mean, when I was a kid, every time you go to a slumber party, there was the prerequisite of a belief in the paranormal because you needed to, to participate in this game. One of them was, he had one girl who would lay down on the ground in the living room, and you'd have two girls on either side of her and say, light of a feather, stick as a board. Light of a feather, stick as a board. And you would lift her. so easy you were convinced the girls on the other side had like an arm underneath but they, they didn't and then somebody would laugh and then suddenly the girl became heavy and you she dropped and then you had the Ouija board inevitably you would ask a question and the thing would start spelling out the answer That's when you decided you're not going to play that Ouija board anymore. <laughs> and then the third game was going into the bathroom. Uh, you'd be like six, seven of you. You turn off the light, and everybody looks into the mirror and says, Bloody Mary, come to me. Bloody Mary, come to me. And you repeat it over and over and over again. see her and everybody screams and runs out of the bathroom. The impact that that had on me was uh, you definitely knew there was something else going on. I grew up in a house where um, my father was quite controlling. And so it was nice. There were times where our grandparents um, uh, would live with us. My grandpa's name was Joe. And uh, 
Joe was uh, British and he had been in the Royal Air Force and he was he was he was quite dapper and he was uh, he was a real joker. I always loved that there was somebody in the house that would, you know, say things that weren't true or do things that were a little bit naughty. What's the matter? And he would get in trouble for it, so I could live vicariously through him, you know? My grandfather being around, you know, when, when we were growing up, you know, he certainly would have liked my father to lighten up a little bit. Like there was one Thanksgiving where the whole entire table was set up. And um, he would oftentimes bang uh, the cutlery on the table and say like he was ready to eat and stuff. We, we quietly, because, you know, to laugh out loud at that, you probably would have gotten in trouble, but we would quietly, I would at least, like, thoroughly enjoy that that was going on right now. You know, sort of wrecking the, the, the stillness. So, but there was one Thanksgiving, he was blowing up a balloon. I don't know why. And he fills it with far too much air. And the balloon pops. And the air and all the spittle that had been in the balloon gently float down onto all the food. And again, I'm quietly so enjoying that that just happened because it really got my dad's goat, but there's nothing he could do about it because he couldn't punish my grandfather. He was an adult. He's a very hearty guy, my grandpa, and I think it was his seventh or eighth heart attack that actually killed him. Everything else he just sort of lived through. And he died. The following day, we came down into the kitchen dining room area, and we had had these bells, and they're made of uh, like a black clay, so they're pretty fragile. And they'd been on the shelves uh, in the living room, and you know, kind of been there so long you forgot, you know, they they were there. We came down in the morning, and on top of the dining room table, my grandpa's name was Joe. He was quite dapper, and he was uh, he was a real joker. He's a very hearty guy, my grandpa, and I think it was his seventh or eighth heart attack that actually killed him. The following day, we came down into the kitchen dining room area, and we had had these bells, and they're made of uh, like a black clay, so they're pretty fragile. And they'd been on the shelves uh, in the living room and, you know, kind of been there so long you forgot, you know, they, they were there. We came down in the morning and on top of the dining room table was the bell, the, the X-shaped bell, like end to end, standing end to end on the table. And then another one on top of that end to end. So it was about three, three and a half feet tall um, of this breakable china. And none of us had done it. And of course, my father wanted to be, you know, angry at somebody for having done that. And, you know, he was my grandfather. And it was, it was great to be able to say, I mean, to honestly say that we didn't do that um, and not be in trouble for something that was like clearly a violation. I mean, honestly, nobody else was in the house. And nobody came down in the middle of the night and did it. My mom definitely, you know, thought it was uh, my grandfather. 
we chose the bells to stack because they were the largest, most, most fragile items in the room. My grandfather, you know, was in the Royal Air Force, and when he was stationed, he was stationed in Malta, and that's where he met my nana. It's funny that these, um, these fragile bell pieces look just like Maltese cross. And it was nice um, to see that from the other side, he was still this same um, uh, joker and um, still sort of, uh, you know, twisting <laughs> my dad. I think he was just sort of, yeah, he was, he was lightening up the, uh, the controlled feeling in the house. Cut to the funeral. You know, it was a traditional um, funeral home set up, you know, smallish room, chairs on either side. And uh, my dad was borrowing um, a blazer that had been my grandfather's. Because I guess he didn't have, uh, have a suitable one to wear to the funeral. So he and my mother walk up to the casket to, um, you know, pay their respects. And suddenly one of the big buttons off the blazer pops off and rolls under the casket. So my dad had to get on his hands and knees under my grandfather's casket and find that button and pick it up. That was, uh, that was Joe's way of, uh, you know, getting my dad under him. The button falling under the casket and the, I think my grandpa was either hoping my father would see the humor in that or hope that my father would um, feel humiliated that he was doing that. But definitely, you know, Joe was in full operation on the other side. It, death didn't slow him down. I really, I wish he was still alive. I really do. And there's nothing more fun than having a, you know, an older, irreverent person in your life. Yeah. I want to be, I want to be like him when I'm an old lady. You know, when we were growing up, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, scary stories about a campfire under the blankets. Um, but I've always thought, thought of them as stories, you know. and I was in Japan uh, getting ready to film this movie called Shudder uh, for New Regis. And the Spider-American couple who start to experience these supernatural sort of events. And I play a character who was a young editor for a publication called Ghost Magazine that specializes in spirit photography. some research to prepare for the role so when I was in Tokyo I asked Don to see if you know if 
there was an actual working magazine that sort of dealt with this kind of topic, and they found one after sort of asking around a little bit. These are not really listed in the yellow pages. You have to sort of kind of, you know, look around underground and, and whatnot. So, so we went to this old, discrepant building. And at first, I thought it was like an abandoned hospital. set of staircases and hallways and then all of a sudden we're at this magazine office it was literally as if like the world of the script had come alive you know it was old and dusty you know it just felt really it had a weird energy about it and there were people by computers and there were stacks of magazines and, and papers and letters and, and weird photographs. And um, so I got to meet with one of the editors there. And he had a look about him that kind of said to me, like, he, it seemed like he experienced a lot and started showing me sort of different letters and photographs that he would receive from some of the subscribers and the readers. And you know, there are pictures that people took by, like, a lake or a forest, and there's, like, a, sort of the spirit in the background. And it's, like, a picture of, like, a family member that's passed away. You know, some people uh, had photographs where, you know, they were just, like, out in daylight at a picnic. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's, like, a head. Like, if you look really closely, you sort of, like... What looks like a, a different human head, sort of in a weird place. You know, he's telling me these things, and uh, it's getting a little weirded out. You know, I'm kind of creeped out. And I started looking through some of these magazines, and you know, some of these pictures are just really, I don't know, dark and, and gloomy. There were instances of kid who drowned and then later appeared in a picture seven years later. And it was, uh, it was definitely helping me with my part, but I think after a couple hours, I just kind of wanted to get out of there. Bummer. Unfortunately, you're not quite ready to move on, so you decide to stick around for a while Keep an eye on your physical body. Little do you know, you're about to witness firsthand many of the funeral home secrets they don't want you to know. Since you're fairly young and your death was rather unexpected, you're going to need a post-mortem exam. And that's why you find yourself, or rather your body, safely stored in a freezer in the morgue in the basement of your local hospital. You watch with interest as the doctor removes your body from the freezer and prepares it for the post-mortem exam. They start with an external exam, looking for any obvious signs of injury or recent medical care, and taking note of any defining marks, like your freckles and tattoos. Your doctor dons a strange-looking face shield to start the internal exam, which seems a bit overkill to you, until he reaches for the saw. The doctor uses the saw to cut open your abdomen, from your pubic bone all the way up to your sternum, and to cut through your ribs to expose your chest cavity. At least they're careful not to cut too high so that your loved ones won't have to see evidence of the post-mortem exam during your funeral. You can't stop watching as the doctor proceeds to remove your organs one by one so that he can examine each of them by turn, 
They work in three blocks, starting with the thoracic area. First, they remove your lungs and heart, then loosen the skin up to your chin to get at your tongue and throat without leaving visible marks. Um, thanks, I guess. Next, they remove your liver, pancreas, stomach, and kidneys, and they finally take out your bladder, bowels, and reproductive organs. Now that your body is an empty cavity, the doctor turns their attention to your organs and examines each of them in turn. You find it hard to pay attention to what's happening on the bench, though, when your body is just laying there, empty. The doctor doesn't find any obvious damage to any of your organs, so they take samples to send for analysis, including a toxicology screening. After the samples are prepared, the doctor carefully returns your organs to your body, roughly where they belong, then carefully sews up your incisions. You're a little bit surprised to see that they also clean your body to remove any evidence of the post-mortem, and they even wash your hair for you. Finally, the doctor completes the report and releases your body to the funeral home. Two attendants arrive to transport your body to the funeral home. They load up your body into a stretcher and gather up your clothes and personal belongings. You're relieved to see that your wallet makes it untouched into the bag with your possessions. But then, hey, says one of the attendants, this guy has a full Metro Pass in his pocket. That has to be worth at least 50 bucks. I'm keeping this. Not like he's gonna miss it. They both have a good laugh at that as they wheel your body and belongings out to the waiting hearse. After a pretty bumpy ride, you follow your body into the funeral home and into yet another freezer. Who knew death was so chilly? Well, you'd better get comfortable. This is your home until the results of the post-mortem come in. Then your death can be registered and your embalming can begin. A little while later, you're not sure if it's hours or days, time is pretty weird when you're dead, your body is once again pulled from the freezer and placed on a table in the funeral home's dedicated embalming room. The funeral director comes in with the embalmer, chatting about the arrangements for your funeral. The public viewing is in two days, so we need the embalming done in time for the private family viewing tomorrow night, says the funeral director. No problem, says the embalmer. Did you tell them that embalming wasn't actually necessary, especially I could keep on ice until the viewing and put a plastic suit under his clothes to manage seepage? It's cheaper, especially if they're just going to cremate him. Of course not, said the funeral director. Can't have that getting out. That would ruin us. They both have a good laugh while you look on fuming. Since there's not much you can do about it, you are a ghost after all. You settle in to watch the embalming process. Besides, you didn't like the sounds of uh, seepage. First, the embalmer unwraps your body, then cleans it thoroughly with a disinfectant spray. Rick and Mortis is set in, making all your limbs stiff and hard to work with, so they spend some time massaging your limbs to work it out. Then they make a small incision in your groin and fill your body with formaldehyde. As you watch the formaldehyde flow through your body, you're shocked to see your body begin to plump up and get more color. You're actually starting to look more lifelike. Creepy. Next, the embalmer makes another incision, this time under your ribcage, and inserts a metal suction tool called a trocar attached to a pump system in your chest cavity. You watch with horror as they use the trocar to puncture each of your organs and drain them of fluid, including your bladder and bowels. Yuck. Thankfully, the embalmer is wearing gloves and a mask, and the suction system is airtight, so none of the fluid comes in contact with the embalmer. Once your body is completely drained, the embalmer refills it with a liter of fluid, which saturates your organs and mitigates any nasty smells. Now that the embalming is complete, it's time to prepare your body for your viewing. You find it hard to watch the embalmer stuff your nose and throat with cotton to prevent any smells or fluids from leaking out, but even worse is watching them dry out your eyeballs. This is an important step though, and if it's skipped, it can lead to liquid seeping from your eyes, which might look like tears to your horrified family. After drying them, plastic half-moon caps are placed under your eyelids to keep them from collapsing into your skull, and your eyelids are glued shut. The final indignity, though, comes when they get ready to dress your body. 
After a thorough cleaning, to your dismay, the first item they put on you is an adult diaper. This is meant to protect the coffin and your clothes, not to mention your loved ones from any leakage, but that doesn't make it any easier to watch. Last but not least, your hair is styled, your nose and ear hair is trimmed, and some light makeup is applied. Your body's even treated to a last manicure. Finally, you're dressed in your best suit, and you have to admit, you look pretty darn good for a dead guy. After the embalmer leaves, two attendants oh, enter damn. the room wheeling a coffin on the stand. You recognize one of the attendants from the hospital. He's the sneaky bus pass thief. You don't recognize the other one. He vaguely looks uneasy about being so close to your body, so you conclude that he must be new. Your suspicions are confirmed a few minutes later when the bus pass thief nods toward the coffin and says, Okay, newbie, go open the lid so we can get this body loaded. The newbie edges closer to your casket, keeping one eye on your body the whole time, as if he half expects you to sit up at any minute. As he reaches out a hand to open the casket, the lid flies open and a body sits up and reaches for him. He runs from the room screaming bloody murder, and you have a feeling he won't be back. Did you see him run? What a scaredy cat, says the man sitting in the coffin who you now recognize as the other attendant from the hospital. I knew he wasn't cut out for this job. Good riddance, says the other. Okay, get out and help me with him. Finally, they carefully place you into your coffin and wheel you out to the visitation space. You have a lovely service full of family and friends, and you're happy to see that it seems to bring some closure, but you're not quite ready to move on. You've heard terrible rumors about what happens in crematoriums, so you're going to stick with your body for a little while longer. Fucking coming! After another bumpy hearse ride, your casket arrives at the crematorium. The crematory operator takes a numbered card from your coffin and places it on a board next to what looks like a large furnace. You realize that this is how they make sure that they know whose remains come out the other end. The operator opens the coffin and checks your body. You see him notice your watch and then watch it more as he leads in and removes it from your body. How many times do I have to tell those dummies at the funeral home to remove the watches before they drop them off? Don't they know that watch batteries can explode in the cremator? You feel a bit better, but still resolve to keep an eye on your watch from now on. Not that you can do much about it. The so operator starts the cremator by turning on the gas and heating the chamber to a scorching 750 degrees Celsius. All the while, they're monitoring the systems by the computer. You see a screen full of readings for temperature, emissions, and oxygen levels, but it means nothing to you. You realize that this must be a much more complex process than you thought. Before you know it, the cremator is ready. This is the part you were worried about. You've heard stories of funeral homes stealing coffins and reselling them, but your fears are soon calmed when you overhear the operator talking to his assistant as they load your body, casket and all, into the furnace. I'm glad this guy's family didn't cheap out on the coffin and go for one of those cardboard boxes, they say. Those things are so inefficient. The wood from the coffin burns first, which helps create the perfect heat and burning environment for an efficient and even cremation. There, they say as they shut the door to the cremator. That's a pretty small one. Let's give it an hour or so. Bye. After an hour has passed, the operator returns to check on the progress. They peek through a window in the side of the chamber and announce that the cremation process is done. You can't resist sneaking a peek yourself, but all that you can see is a glowing pile of ashes. The operator shuts down the machine and leaves the assistant with the unenviable task of raking out the remains. Once the machine is cooled down, the assistant uses a 15-foot-long steel rake to push the remains through an opening in the bottom of the cremator and into a bin to cool. Finally, the assistant picks through the bin of the cooled remains, taking out any metal hardware left over from the coffin. When he's done, you notice there are still some large chunks in the mixture, and you worry that he missed some hinges or screws. The operator sets you straight when they return to inspect the remains. Good job, I think you got everything. Looks like we have some bone fragments, maybe a piece of a hip or a shin bone. That's to be expected. The bigger bones don't always break right down. And those young bones are stronger after all. Don't worry, the 
Crimulator will take care of that. You barely have time to register this bit of gruesome news before the assistant whisks the bin of your remains over to the Crimulator. A Crimulator, as it turns out, is a machine that uses steel balls to grind the remains into a fine, uniform ash and filters out any unsightly bigger pieces. Once the Crimulator has done its job, your remains are transferred to the beautiful decorative urn that your relatives have selected and placed in a storage room to await pickup. You're relieved to see that your watch is placed alongside your urn, and at least it didn't go missing. Satisfied that your body has been properly and respectfully dealt with, you finally decide that it's time to leave and go explore the rest of what the other side has to offer. Your soul is at peace now that you've learned the funeral home secrets they don't want you to know. So, what do you think about these secrets that funeral homes don't want you to know? What surprised you the most about the process of preparing a body for a funeral? Be sure and let us know your thoughts on funeral home secrets in the comments. said that after a night of drinking, he wandered to the Port of Albany, fell into the Hudson, and drowned. There are some new developments which could lead to murder charges. He disappeared after a night out with friends downtown. The ME says he accidentally drowned. Body was found in the Ohio River near Neville Island back in March, ending a six-week search. The FBI now involved in the desperate search for a missing 21-year-old college student from Pennsylvania. words Dakota James said when he called his friend Shelley on the evening of December 15, 2016. Terrified, Shelley got in her car and headed towards where James said he would be. It was late at this point, and it was another cold night in the city of Pittsburgh. As she headed in the direction of North Pittsburgh, where James claimed to be, Shelley checked his location on her phone and realized that he was nowhere near there. James was actually in South Pittsburgh. James was clearly not in the right headspace, as he continued to plead with Shelley to find him. He kept saying that he was cold and scared, and that he had no idea how he even ended up alone, walking in the middle of the street. Shelley would get to his location in ten minutes, only to find James stumbling out of a hotel, heading in the direction of a black SUV. The SUV was facing the wrong way, in the wrong lane. As James walked closer to the vehicle, Shelley pulled up,
directly on our app. We got this. Remember the other day we were in a store where like his whole hand was busted off or something. 
Okay, come on, Mr. Wacky. Come on. All right, he's not. Where? Oh, here he goes. He tried to trick me. He's not moving, though. He's talking, but he's not moving. Okay, Mr. Candy Corn Teeth. Then we have Ophelia right here. And she is working because I can hear the ghoul behind her talking. Let's get her going again. Oh, look, and this one, she has both eyes. Remember in the store yesterday, she only had one eye? She read the map wrong with her one eye. Listen to how she whines. She's just in shock because there's a scary ghoul behind her. And then over here, we have a Pennywise sewer grate. I'm glad some of these actually started showing up in stores because you just couldn't find them anywhere at first. This store is super busy, guys. But look at this. We have a Night Stalker right here. And holy crap, for some reason, he's 25% off. I would be willing to bet that there's something about him that doesn't work. They usually write it on the box when it doesn't work. But I don't see anything except 25% off. Oh my gosh, guys, this store is insanely busy today. They're actually having a line outside because there were so many people in the store. 120 people. Let's see what else we can find. Oh my lord, guys, look at this. I'm not even kidding. This place is so busy right now. Way up there is where you pay. The line comes all the way back here and over around. How crazy is that? And how crazy is it that I just found three more Evelyn leeches? How cool is that? One, two three and there's something on here oh holy crap no i did not just find johnny punk in the busiest store in the whole sector what are those if you didn't see i actually just bought johnny punk the other day i'm gonna be putting him together very soon so stay tuned but right below him is the sandworm greeter i love this guy and i love candy corn oh look at what we have here we have uncle charlie there's one two three uh, and a vintage clown doll i have both of these guys oh my gosh i am sweating like a pig up in this piece holy crap look at this guys this is the first place i have seen this costume it's sandy cheeks from spongebob oh my gosh i cannot believe they actually have this they also have the barnacle boy costume but it looks like that's really all they have for spongebob Oh, look, they have the Joker mask with the chin that moves when you talk. Oh, well, I think it moves. I can't make it move. <laughs> it must be on lock mode. I'm not even kidding, guys. It's like a maze in here. Holy crap. Look, people are just hanging lone baskets. Or is it haunted? Is it the haunted basket that's for sale? Mom, I want to be a basket for Halloween. Oh, look, I've never seen this before. They have multicolored spider webs all in one pack. Orange, green, and purple. And there's the white. They have the vintage hanging devils. Ooh, his eyes are yellow. They have the hanging kicking clowns. There's a whole plethora of them over here. Look, they're all kicking. This small child over here just pushed the button and said, Look, this is me in school. <laughs> we have the shaking reapers. That, oh, they're not shaking. Are you going to shake? He's not shaking either. We have the green-headed clowns. Oh, there's the blinking eyes. And, oh, look, we have the green-headed, big-headed clown. The green-haired, big-headed clown without a button. I'm sorry, sir. No button, no fun. And who is this spooky character? He's a green-headed clown, too, but he's missing one eye. We can't forget about the reaper with wings. He's not working either. 
or the hanging vintage monsters. What is it with one eye in this store? Look, his eye is lit up over here, but not over here. He also read the map wrong with his one eye. We have pumpkin carving goop scoops. We have the Pennywise light up balloon. Ooh, it's actually working. They have these shorties here, but whenever I push the button, all that happens is that this little light comes on on the side. I don't know what else he's supposed to do, but none of these ever appear to work. And if that's all they do, that's kind of lame. Wait, look, he has no nose. Where's your nose, shorty? Oh, this guy must have taken it. Holy crap, guys, there's so many people in here, it's not even logical. It's totally illogical. Let's try to escape down this aisle. Wait, what in the world? Look, here's monster bolts that you put on your neck if you want to dress up like Frankenstein. That is actually pretty cool. Wait, look, I just found all the eyes that are missing. What is this, a security scanner? Okay, if you're gonna dress up like a security guy, I guess. Ooh, here's some evil pliers if you want to dress up like an evil dentist and rip out some teeth. This ghost mask over here reminds me of the wow -o toy factory at the beginning of the Scooby-Doo movie. Wait, have we seen the vintage mummy mask in other stores? I think we have, at least in one store. That is sweet. I love the colors on that. And look at this. It's a vintage jolly ghost mask. He is a jolly soul. This is the perfect music for these costumes. What kind of hat is this? Giant Russian figurehead? Is that Drago? Excuse me, sir, please use the air freshener. Here's plenty of baskets, but there's one problem. I forgot the stickers. What's wrong with me? What in the world? It is Baby Patrick. And it's a Baby Strongman. I don't think I've ever seen so many people in one spirit store at one time. But I do see Hugs the Clown. And this one's called Big Top Terror, but he kind of looks like he could be Hugs' little brother. Eddie Pooter? Holy crap, I found my costume. It's He-Man! Wait, maybe I want to be Fred Flintstone and Marion could be Wilma. Or I could be Shaggy. It's like uber creepy in here. Oh, hey, uh, how you doing there? Oh, look at this. I've never seen this before. It's the vintage cat crossbody bag. Look at this killer clown chick. Look at the look on her face. That is hilarious. Oh, and they have Uncle Charlie with his bucket. I wonder if the bucket actually comes with it. It doesn't appear to, so you'd have to get your own bucket from the flower factory and paint the words free candy on it, and then I will give you stickers to put in your bucket. I've never seen so many children running around with weapons and actually getting scared. I guess that means I need to dress up like a chicken. <laughs> All right, guys, I've seen just about everything there is to see in there, but let's take a look at these babies first. Wait a minute. Something is very strange about this spider biter Billy. What in the world? He's like squishy. And his face is different. I'm sorry, Spider Biter. I just had to squeeze your head for a minute. That That is even creepier than the other ones. This one feels the way it should. Her head doesn't squish, but his does. How weird is that? And then we have Snaky Blake. Does your head squish? No, your head doesn't squish. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm in a store trying to squish baby heads. Oh look, we almost missed this. There's a wacky mole down here. How cool is that? And a Sam Groundbreaker and a whole bunch of inflatables I didn't see. And they have the talking clown and the talking pumpkin door knocker. Are you going to talk? Oh, he's just barely working. Let's try this guy. Nope, he's not working either. They must be worked to death. <laughs> All right, Mr. Halloween Factory, I'm going to leave you alone. There's way too many people in here and I am hotter than a pig. Stay away.
to save money on your next job, TradePoint members get exclusive trade-only offers. Please let me know if you remember this. Ronald McDonald was actually 
actually featured on a ton of kids toys and just products in general obviously he's like the mascot of mcdonald's but he's sort of creepy like kids don't often love to look at ronald mcdonald you know what i mean <laughs> so what was so odd for kids to receive was the ronald mcdonald hand puppet parents didn't really like this toy not because of how creepy it looked but because it was kind of a safety hazard you know giving kids a plastic bag is never really a good idea so parents were complaining nobody was happy about this and eventually it was just they got rid of it like who thought it would be a good idea to give kids plastic bags no that's never a good idea these next toys i had i collected i think i had like eight of them they're called the madame alexander dolls i think they might still give these out every so often but i hear these are selling for so much money now so if only i kept mine i'm pretty sure i sold them at a garage sale for like five cents so regrets but yeah these creepy little dolls are really sought after by adult collectors and some kids didn't like these because they kind of looked like something you'd find in like your grandma's curio cabinet very vintage looking not something kids could really play with you know what i mean and all the dolls are kind of creepy in their own way i mean i personally think they look really awesome but there was one doll in particular that people really freaked out about it was a doll from 2010 and especially when you see it in the packaging it looks terrifying the doll is called wendy as the big bad wolf Love you. Goodbye. Bye. You actually have a recording right now? Yes, I'm filming. <laughs> People said this doll looked like a little girl trying to play Frank the Bunny from Donnie Darko. I think that's his name. But yeah, whenever kids got this toy, they would just get rid of it right away because it's this kind of creepy. But if anybody still has these dolls from like way back when, these are selling for some good money now, so in case you're wondering. The next thing is the Ronald McDonald mask. Once again, McDonald's thought it would be a great idea to just put him on kids' toys. This mask is kind of a creepy sight to see, and especially because, like I said, a lot of kids are afraid of clowns. They were not happy to see this in their Happy Meal. This was in Happy Meals in 1974, so quite a while ago, and not only were kids upset because he was kind of scary looking, they were also upset because technically he wasn't really a toy. He was a piece of cardboard, so kids were like, yo, I want my toy. Like, what is this? The next thing is the underwater monsters, which I kind of think they're cool. Is that weird of me to think they're cool? As you guys know, McDonald's really likes to collect lab with movies especially disney movies to come out with toys like mulan cars despicable me like the movies go on and on and on and on but what's weird is that these underwater monsters i don't think they related to any movie i think they were just completely random they came out in 1979 and apparently if you still have these toys as well they're also selling for a lot of money it's weird how when so much time passes people start just like paying so much for things like happy meal toys like what this next thing is the halloween nugget which they're honestly kind of cute but I get why people would be kind of unsettled by them because if you think about it you order like a meal of chicken McNuggets and you're eating them and then you get a McNugget toy that has a face and it's smiling and you feel bad about eating the McNuggets because you have one that has a face <laughs> so it makes sense anyways these came out in 1988 probably around Halloween I'm assuming and yeah I don't know I think they're kind of cute then we have the Ronald McDonald 
McDonald's sunglasses. We just can't escape him, can we? It doesn't say what year these came out, but they're so creepy because you have these sunglasses on and Ronald is like right on your forehead, like staring at people. And like, I guess it's like a good collector's item, but I feel like if you're wearing these and you're talking to somebody in public, they're just gonna like run away from you. You know what I mean? And then lastly, we have the toys called Weird Writers, which creep people out, but I kind of wish I got these because they're kind of cool looking. I think these came out in 1993. <coughs> My throat. <coughs> I'm dying. And they're basically like monster shaped markers, which are so cool. I wonder if they actually worked okay though. You know when you get like cheap toys and like the markers just never work no matter what you do? <laughs> but like these are kind of cool to like collect. Imagine having the whole set of these like creepy monster markers. That'd be so cool. Anyways though guys, those are all the weird ones that I was able to find. Obviously there's probably tons because like every other- was awkward, lonely. When her parents built her this life-size dollhouse, the neighborhood kids finally came over to play. Marjorie grew up to be a beautiful, smart young woman. She earned a master's degree in education. People found her captivating especially men, who would do almost anything for her. I've been talking with Marge for over a decade. This is one of the boxes of letters from Marge. And this is probably about, oh, I don't know, maybe half of the letters through the years. Yeah, it's just, it's just endless. Fence. Uh oh. 